are looking in Mark chapter 14. We've been looking for several months now in the Gospel of Mark. And today we're going to be looking at a message I call Willing But Weak. Let's all stand together, please, as we reverence the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 14, verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. Willing, but weak. Willing, but weak. We come today once again to those events that were recorded for us in what we would call Thursday night of the Passion Week. In just a few moments at the, at the events of our text, uh, we are going to see Judas come leading soldiers, Jesus arrested by 9 o'clock the next morning. He will be hanging on a cross. We saw Jesus and the disciples in the upper room observing the last Passover and the first of the Lord's Supper. It closed out then with Jesus and the disciples, minus Judas, of course. He had joined them in a few moments. But there they were leaving Jerusalem to go to the Mount of Olives, tracing a familiar path. No doubt it was almost the exact same one that David had taken long ago when he had to leave during the Absalom rebellion and went over the Mount of Olives, betrayed. Now Jesus follows that same path. As they're traveling, he brings to them some very intensive teaching. It's recorded for us in John chapter 14, 15, and 16 as he uh, gives them amazing truth. It led then to Jesus' prayer of intercession in John chapter 17. And, and then these two events that Mark weaves together around this subject of willing but weak. The spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. Along with this agonizing prayer of Jesus in the garden, there would be that time when Jesus would predict the disciples Betrayal, all of them, he said, would be offended. All of them would fail. And he would particularly sing out, single out, as we'll see, Simon Peter. And once again, an interaction is going to take place between Jesus, Simon Peter, and Satan. All will play out. We'll see that today. This agonizing prayer of Jesus when he was sweating great drops of blood and praying, if it be possible... Let this cup pass for me. Our precious Lord Jesus, you see, was fully God and yet fully man. Son of God, yes. Son of man, yes. And we would have perhaps never understood the significance of that garden prayer when Jesus was in travail of his soul and cried out to God, if it be possible, let this cup pass. We would have probably Never understood everything that happened. And we still, we still see it surrounded in mystery. But 
we understand a lot more about it because of what the writer of the book of Hebrews explained to us. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 6. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order, order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, that's Jesus, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him with, from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. Writer of Hebrews points out that this was in the days of his flesh and his humanity when he was praying to God. He's talking about this garden scene. He offered up strong prayers with loud cries and tears. God the Father was the one who was making him an offering for sin. And so Jesus cried out to the one who had the power to save him from death. That's what the writer of the book of Hebrews says. His prayers were heard. Jesus learned obedience that night. That's what he says, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience. Remember I said there's something mysterious in all of this. It's not like we can understand it all. There was a transaction happening between God the Father and God the Son. And as God the Son, that included him being, yes, the Son of God and the Son of Man. He learned obedience. He prayed, not my will, but thine be done. And it was done. But there was something in that garden scene that caused the writer of the book of Hebrews to say that he was made perfect. And that word means complete. He was completed by this. And apparently it had to do with his being qualified then to be our high priest. Now, this was somewhat of a conundrum to the Jewish scholars because they knew that the Messiah was supposed to be both prophet, priest, and king. Uh, the prophet and the, pre and the king part was not going to be hard. Many, many of the kings were also prophets. Uh, David, most famously, but many others. So they could see the prophetic office and the kingly office come together. But the priest was of the tribe of Levi, where the kings were all of the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah could not be uh, the tribe of Levi. Uh, they couldn't be priest, and the tribe of Levi couldn't be king. They didn't know how to settle that. God settled it. He settled it with that mysterious figure, Melchizedek, in the Old Testament, who Abraham paid tithes to, without my father, without mother, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, without descent, and he himself a mysterious figure. And yet God established a priesthood. It was not based on age like all the others. It was not one of a limited time like Aaron's priesthood was. No. But in fact, we have... The word to the psalmist who tells us that he would be made a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
so that Jesus Christ on that night so long ago perfected himself. He became obedient and he went away from there to be our eternal high priest. That's a big deal. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus, you see, was tempted in all points like as we are. And yet we might look at his temptation and say, yeah, but Jesus was fully God. He didn't suffer like I suffer. He couldn't be tempted like I, I, he can't feel the things that I feel. Therefore, we have the garden scene, the prayers. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And somehow in that mysterious economy of God, then Jesus was counted as perfected. He could go from there, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, to become the captain of our eternal salvation. Aren't you glad we've got eternal salvation? And the reason that we can have eternal salvation is going on. It's delineated for us, spelled out particularly Hebrews 7.25. Wherefore he, that's Jesus, is able also to save them to the uttermost. That come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. How can we have eternal salvation? Because our high priest ever lives and ever intercedes. This is an incredible moment on that night so long ago. But as Mark so often does, he weaves that story together with other events, showing in full display the truth that Jesus emphasized through it all. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And if you wonder why that he would so emphasize that at this moment in time, it is the weakness of our flesh as believers that requires that we have an ever vigilant, ever operational high priest interceding for us. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Thank God we have a great high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us. So we see these Two stories then this morning. First of all, the promised failure. Verse 27, Jesus said to them, All you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, You'll deny me three times. But he, that's Peter, spake more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all, that is all the apostles, they all said likewise. 
pick up then Luke's famous account in Luke chapter 22 and verse 31. The Lord said, Simon, Simon. He called him by his old name twice. Jesus has given him a new name, Peter. <laughs> but he's acting right now like his old name, Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. We've already seen Satan himself interacting with and ultimately infesting Judas Iscariot on this night. Satan entered into him. This is the second time that Satan has interacted with Simon Peter directly and personally. We remember in Mark chapter 8 and verse 33 when Simon Peter was arguing with Jesus a different time, a different occasion. This shall not be so unto thee. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. So once again, we see a time when Satan was interacting with Simon Peter directly. In this incident, uh, in our text today, Jesus points out two obvious things. Number one, Satan had to ask for permission to come against Simon Peter. Satan has asked. And number two, the permission was granted. Wheat was sifted in Bible times by a process we know better as threshing. Uh, it was beat with rods usually, but the grain, uh, in order to separate the, the good wheat from the husks. And then it would be sifted in, in a basket that would probably look much like the internal mechanism of a combine to this day that has that uh, board in there that shakes uh, so that the grain falls out and the chaff is blown away. And you get a pretty vivid mental image then of what Satan was wanting to do to Simon Peter. He's shake him up. Many of the more modern translation includes all the apostles in what Jesus said in Luke chapter 22. He translated it, Satan has desired to have each of you or all of you. Certainly in our text, Jesus included all of the apostles in his prediction of failure. And all of them in their denial, all of you, he said, will be made to stumble in verse 27, uh, verse 31. They all said likewise. They all said, likewise, will not fail. Simon, as always, was the one speaking most prominently. So Jesus, in Luke's account, addressed him not once but twice. In their own minds, they were ready for action. They were ready to die, if need be, for Jesus. I believe they were totally sincere in that statement. They looked at themselves. This is what we are ready, willing, and able to do. They were probably thinking that there were thousands of other people who would do the same thing if called upon. After all, it's only been a few days since those thousands of people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. They were dangerously unaware of two things. They were unaware, first of all, of the weakness of their own flesh. And they were unaware of the eagerness of Satan to exploit that weakness. It's bad to have a weakness. It's infinitely worse to have a weakness and not know you have it. And that's where these men were. That's where Simon Peter was. 
He had a weakness of which he was unaware. Simon Peter was a fearless kind of guy. He's demonstrated that courage before. Who was it that got out of the boat and walked on the water? Yeah, that was Simon Peter. Simon Peter had courage, and he knew it. And he knew that in order to run like that, to to defect, to, to flee, he knew he would have to be afraid. And that was not in his character. But now Jesus said to him, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. Now Mark called out a number. Before the cock crows twice, you'll deny me thrice. The other accounts just have it before the cock crows. Uh, you see, the, the crowing of the rooster was synonymous in Jewish thinking with the fourth watch of the night. The fourth watch of the night went from 3 o'clock in the morning till 6 o'clock. And if any of you have been around roosters very much, you know they're liable to start crowing about any time along between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock. I think the whippoorwills wake them up. What do you all think? I don't know. They certainly get fired up. And that was the fourth watch, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And that's what Jesus was saying. But Mark brings out a special number, a specific number. He'll crow twice. What Jesus was saying was unthinkable to Simon and to the other disciples. They would all run. They would all flee. They would all lose in their battle with Satan. They all had a terrible weakness that they were unaware of. Jesus predicted it. Three times he would deny the Lord. It plays out just that way. Exactly the way Jesus said. Again, there's something in this passage that is mysterious to me. You would have thought that since Simon Peter had been predicted, had received that prediction from the Lord, you're going to deny me three times. You'd have thought after the first or second time, he might have been thinking a little bit. But he didn't. Exactly like Jesus said, here it is. As Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch, and the cock crew. And a maid saw him again, and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again, and a little after They that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, but thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. And the second time, the cock crew. Peter called to mind then the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crowed twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, He wept. He wept bitterly. It's quite a difference. Peter said, I'm ready to die for you. But what Peter did, that's what he said, but what he did was denied him three times. And as if to make proper emphasis on the last denial, the Bible started, said that he started cussing He made his point with a pile of profanity. 
Unleash that vile oath. Satan has desired to have you. That he might sift you as wheat. Satan's goal, you see, in all this was simple. He wanted to destroy Simon Peter and the other apostles. Uh, but not only did Jesus give permission for Satan to expose and exploit their weakness. He also interceded for them. Isn't that a great passage? Jesus said, I have prayed for you. You understand now, we're seeing Jesus' high priestly ministry put on display. So what's he doing? He's already interceding. Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith fail not. His faith didn't fail. (laughs) And when you return, he did. He did. Spirit was willing, you see, but the flesh was weak. It was weaker than they knew. They needed intercession and they got it. From the great high priest, their comforter, their helper. That's the first scene. Their predicted betrayal, denial. Then there's the great priestly scene. Verse 32. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. That word means the olive press. This is on the Mount of Olives. So there had to be an olive press. That's where they, of course, squeezed the olives out for the oil. He said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. And he went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour, watch and pray, lest you enter temptation? The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Throughout history, preachers have pointed out the apparent connection between their lack of prayer that night and their failure in the face of fleshly fear. Uh, They had a problem of weakness in their flesh. Their weakness was they were afraid to die. They didn't think they were, but they were. They had a lot more fear of death than they thought they did. Some of us might have discovered the last thing over the last couple of years. The pandemic hit and all the threats of the possibility of dying we might have found out we were more afraid of dying than we thought and if we did we're in good company the disciples were more afraid of dying than they thought they were I can't say today that every time we give in to sin that it's caused by prayerlessness but I can say there's an obvious connection in this passage Jesus told them watch and pray lest you enter into temptation they didn't pray They needed to. They didn't. Let's add something else. They were willing to. But they couldn't. They were willing to. But they couldn't. Let me ask you all a quick question. Nobody raised their hand. uh, Have you ever gone to sleep praying? Anybody? Let me just go ahead and take the pressure off. I have. I sure have. Ask Brother Bill. Brother Bill has too. Uh, And I could ask most of you, ever gone to sleep praying? 
And uh, my first inclination is to say, oh man, that's awful. How awful. But let me ask you a quick question. What better way would there be to go to sleep? <laughs> a whole lot better than counting sheep. A whole lot better than trying to think over them problems you've had all day. That ain't going to work. You're not going to go to sleep with all that. Thinking about what all you're going to do, that ain't going to work either. Talk to God. Pray, and all of a sudden, you know, I get to feeling kind of relaxed. And you can just kind of sign off with the Lord. Say, Lord, if you're going to sit up, I think I'll just go ahead and go to bed. You got everything in hand. You take care of me. Take care of my family. Take care of my wife. Well, I'm, I'm just going to leave it in your hand, Lord. What better way to go to sleep than go to sleep praying? And on this night, of course, there was something else afoot. It was a time where they critically, critically needed to pray. And they just couldn't. The flesh was weak. The spirit was willing. They wanted to. They were willing to. Just like they were willing to die for Jesus, but they couldn't. They were willing to pray, but they couldn't. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Let's face the reality of our situation this morning. The flesh is weak. That means we can't worship like we want to. That means that we can't pray like we want to. We can't read the Bible like we want to. We can't study. We can't witness the way we want to. Why? We're willing to, but the the flesh is weak. So while Jesus was winning his victory over his humanity so as to become the author of our eternal salvation, there were the disciples losing their battle with their humanity so as to fulfill the promise that Jesus gave them. And remember, he gave them that promise with that critical expression as it is written. Zechariah 13 and 7 was what he quoted. Passage written hundreds of years ago. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Zechariah wrote that. Scattering of the apostles, according to Jesus, was written in advance. And the outcome then was not in doubt or in question. Satan was used as he so often is to accomplish the purpose of God. Sheep were scattered, oh, but they'd be gathered again. Spring forward seven weeks later, uh, seven weeks and a day. This was Passover. Fifty days later was another feast called Pentecost. Seven weeks and a day later, <laughs> in the same city, these same men were going to be infused with the power from on high. And before that day was over, events were going to transpire that would shake the city of Jerusalem to its core and that have spread around the world and is still blessing people even today. Uh, you'll be gathered together. You'll, you'll come back. And they, they sure did. On that night so long ago when the shepherd was struck and the first messianic prophecy in the Bible was fulfilled, that first promise was that to Satan you will bruise his heel. That's Jesus' heel. He'll crush your head. 
Isaiah would tell us it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Don't give too much credit to the devil in all this. God was orchestrating the whole thing. It pleased you to bruise him. Yeah. On that night then, so long ago, it was put on prominent display for us. The, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But we have a great high priest who intercedes for us. We'll close out this morning then by considering the words of another apostle. He wasn't there that night. This is the testimony of the Apostle Paul, and it's recorded for us in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells Within me, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. So here we are after Calvary, after Pentecost, and another apostle born out of due time has come upon the scene. And what does he say? I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. What did he say? Different words, same meaning. The Spirit is willing. flesh is weak I don't tell you that today so we can capitulate to this that we accept defeat then as a foregone conclusion because that's not where the passage takes us Paul we kept reading in Romans chapter 7 we get to verse 24 where he cries out oh wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And you'll go right on. The very next verse says, And there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And it goes on from there. But the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did. God God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. I'm not going to preach the book of Romans to you today, but I will tell you this much. In the book of Romans, before Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit of God is mentioned only one time. And in Romans chapter 8, he's mentioned night times who will deliver us from this body of death Christ Jesus my Lord I bring all that up to you today because you see on that night when Jesus was teaching the disciples and I told you it's all recorded for us in John chapter 14 John chapter 15 and chapter 16 and that glorious prayer of intercession in John chapter 17 you know what Jesus was talking about over and over again the comforter you know what the comforter is it's the Holy Spirit John tells us we have a comforter with the Father that's Jesus Christ as long as Jesus is with us was with them in his physical body he was the 
comforter. But now he says, I'm going away, but I'm going to send you another one. Another one of the same kind. Another one just like Jesus. And in fact, it is him because Christ is in us, the hope of glory. And that is the comforter, the helper, the intercessor. So that we not only have the one living in the throne of God who is constantly and continually making intercession for us, but once we are saved, we have Jesus Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, and He is living inside of us. And one of the meanings of that word, paraclete, is He is our helper. Our helper. I'd I'd holler that louder if I had a bigger voice. He's our helper. And so it's not just leaving us to languish in this, saying, well, you know, the Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. That's true, but there's another power at work in you as a child of God. That is in work in me, and greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. A couple of things in for us today. First of all, folks, you say, man, I struggled doing what I know is right to do. Something must be wrong with me. No. <laughs> Something's right with you. Jesus said it a long time ago. The spirit is willing. But the flesh is weak. And I want to tell you brothers and sisters in Christ. That struggle is going to go on in all of us. As long as we are alive and walking around on this plane of existence. As long as we're in this body in this world. We're going to struggle with this flesh. We're going to struggle because our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. But the old hymn writer perhaps said it best, but one day this robe of flesh I'll drop and rise and seize the everlasting prize. One day, one day, I'll be able to worship God like I've always wanted to. One day, I'll be able to talk to God like I've always wanted to. One day, the Word of God will come alive in my life and yours like we've always wanted it to. One day, I'll not be struggling with sin and temptation and a bad attitude and a big mouth. One day, one day, all that struggle is going to be over. That's what we're waiting for. So just remind yourself, you say, well, man, I struggle doing what I know is right. As long as you're in the struggle, then you're right where you're supposed to be. But the other thing is, you know, your flesh is never really going to get any better. I wish I could tell you that it would, but it won't. Yeah, Brother W.C., like he sang about today earlier, that old man is dead. The Bible tells us that. I died. And my life is hid in Christ and God. That's the truth. But you know, our old man's got more lives than Houdini. And in fact, <laughs> that thing keeps on giving us trouble. I've been bringing that old man to church now for, well... I'll just say a long, long time. Decades. He still don't like church. See, the old man never gets any better. The old man is so bad that God is not even going to mess with taking it to heaven. He's going to give you a new body 
Because the one we've got is cursed with sin. And it's going to go. And be replaced by a new body. But until that happens, we've got something else. The powerful Holy Spirit of God lives in us. And he takes that word that we hide in our heart and he uses to help us. To help us. So if we've got a weakness that we're not aware of, uh, the devil's more than eager to exploit that weakness. Show us where it's at. He'll show it to you. Sometimes God will let him. Just to show us that we're weaker than we think we are. Every now and then we need to be reminded. Remind me. But I ask you today. The most pivotal question of all. Is does the Holy Spirit live in you? Does he live in you? He can only live in you in one way. And that is if you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Have you done that? Have you followed him then in baptism? Are you serving him in the Lord's church? If you need to make that decision today, this is your time. Let's stand together, please.